In episode 4.2 of Unshuffled, we investigate the second album from theatrical Swedish hard rocker's ghost, Infestissimum. But first, let's hear from Seven Planets. Scotty, neighbor, co-host, colleague. That's it, I think. I don't have any other names for you unless you've got some nicknames that I don't know about. Can we just sing this one? Should we just do this? Do the whole the whole episode in in in, in sort of your best evil church choir? Yeah, that's the problem. We don't actually have a choir for this. Uh, that would, uh, if we could get a choir in, maybe we, maybe we'll consider that for our next next episode. Sounds like they barely got a choir too. I don't know if you did. You read any of that where they the people were bailing left and right once they read the lyrics of what they were supposed <laughs> <Yeah>. to sing. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. Actually, I found, found it funny that they had to go to LA to get people who were willing to sing it. We'll get well, to the choir in a moment, but um, yeah, will. what a start. Yes, what a start sir. to an album, huh? Yeah. Well, hey there, Matt. Welcome back. Hi, Scott. Hi, listeners. I'm going to jump in here real quick. So yeah. because I'm curious to know, and we'll get there, all, all good things in time. But I want to know where, where you stand on this because from my impressions of, of your thoughts of, of kind of where this was going based on the last album was that this album had a lot of uh, holding up to do. Or, or, or you were you were about ready to just pull the plug on Ghost and walk away altogether. Yeah, I must admit, they lost me. And we spoke about the coffee cups, the the moments where you're sort of taken out of the music and you start to question what you're doing. You know, why am I listening to this? And there were a few of those moments on the previous album, and it left me thinking, hmm, I need them to lift on this album. And I must say, first impressions. On the first song, when I put it in, I just thought, wow. Like, and it was the choir that, that gave me that. Like, and it seems to, it's almost been glossed over that in some of the reviews I've read. A choir, a freaking choir. <laughs> I don't think enough have been made of the choir. They sound great too. And what a way to start with just this choir is incredible. And, and there's a mix of, there's some female voices in there. You know, they've taken that. They had a little bit of a churchy feel in, some, in quite a few of their songs on the first album, but now to bring in the whole damn choir, I think uh, that was some way to make an impress, a first impression on this second album. The St. Trident Tenors of Tinseltown. That's the, uh, that's the name of the choir. Yeah, that's the, the name they've written. I don't know that right, such right, a choir right. I exists. I, I'm imagining they put them all. Didn't they say something? Isn't there something in there about getting janitors and, and anybody they could find together to 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 make up the Saint Trident tenors of Tinseltown? Yeah, anyone who was willing to sing these uh, satanic uh, lyrics. <laughs> right. Mm. All right. So yeah, I really liked the first impression. Whether the rest of the album can hold up, we'll we'll find out in a moment. After I introduce our podcast to those who are new or. 
um, unfamiliar with our podcast here. This is Unshuffled. This is our attempt to bring back the album. We believe that listening to music through albums is the best way to do it and that we've lost something in the way we consume music in these modern times, the whole shuffling up, picking out singles, putting on apps, that sort of stuff is an inferior way to listen to music and we're trying to guide people gently back to the best way to consume music through this podcast. We are choosing a band, one band at a time, a band that we know we should have listened to by now but we haven't got around to. And we're starting with their first album and working our way through their entire catalogue. The current band that we've chosen is really a a phenomenon and incredible that neither of us had listened to them before this podcast series. The band is called Ghost from Sweden and they've sort of dominated the heavier end of the music spectrum for the last decade or so. Today we are on to their second album. Now, the hardest thing about this podcast today is going to be pronouncing the name of this album, but I'll give it my first go here and we'll see how we go for the rest of it. Maybe we need uh, an abbreviation or something, but it's Infestissimum. How'd I go? That's uh, good. I was I was waiting for you to say it. So uh, hopefully that locked in and that's how I'm going to say it. All right. Infestissimum. There it is. Yep. I got it. All right, good. Now... One thing to note, listeners, is that we are hoping that you have already listened to this album, even if it's only once or twice, but we don't want to colour your opinion of it before you listen to it. Plus, it's perhaps less interesting to hear us talking in detail about the contents of the album if you're not familiar with them yourself. So my advice is, if you haven't listened to this album yet, you should, even if you don't want to commit to buying the physical copy straight up. It's available on various platforms that stream music so you can give it a try there obviously physical having the physical version is is optimum but you can at least start by giving it a listen before you get too much further with us so my advice would be if you haven't listened to this album yet pause and come back to us later we'll be here but you only get one first experience with an album so go and have that now if you haven't had it already all right, so let's let's take a dive into this album. Um, let's do it. It's possible I'm going to struggle more with the producer's name than I am the title of the, the album. All right, well, what's your so, try the cover artist? <laughs> so the uh, album was released April 10th, 2013, produced by Nick Rasculines is where I'm going to go with that. Um, <laughs> That's and, a tough uh, one, isn't it? I think there's a next at the end. I think it's Nick Raskulinex. There, that sounds more Polish. So that, let's go with that. My, my version yeah. sounded Spanish. Um, it was recorded at Blackbird Studios in Nashville, which is interesting because it's not quite the geographical setting that I would envision for a ghost album. And it, it takes them quite away from Sweden, right, which was the, the setting for the first one. Uh, this is their major record label debut on... Universal Music Group, slash Loma Vista, slash Republic, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the lineup for this album, we've got Papa Emeritus II takes over because apparently Papa Emeritus I disappeared, I believe, as the story goes. And uh, and the second was brought in to, to take his place. Um, 
There are the St. Trident Tanners of Tinseltown, whoever they may be. Uh, the Now, they're Martin Persner. I'm not entirely sure what he did, but he I believe he was one of the ghouls and songwriter for three of the tracks. And then Dave Grohl makes an appearance, but not in this version. Not, not on the ones that we're going to be talking about. He made an appearance on the EP that's been connected to it later. Yeah, of which a couple of bonus tracks, a bonus track or two were included on some versions of this album. And I believe the deluxe edition of this album came with the entire EP, which was released not long after this album. It's called If You Have Ghost. And well worth a listen, but we won't discuss that in detail today. But uh, I do have some thoughts, just while I mention it, that I have bought the CD and just some advice for our listeners. If you are buying this, avoid the digi sleeve. And in just in general, if you see the words digi sleeve, it sounds nice. You know, digi sleeve sounds kind of futuristic, but where possible, avoid digi sleeves because it's just a flimsy piece of cardboard without liner notes. I mean, there's just the basics of the credits and the front cover artwork, but you don't get all the illustrations throughout, you don't get the lyrics. I feel like I'm missing out a lot with my physical version because I've got the digi sleeve and not the deluxe edition, including the EP, which I would have liked to have had as well. Wasn't weren't those introduced as supposed to be the eco-friendly version of the CD? That's a, that might be the how they're trying to sell them, but <laughs> it's just cheap. I think I think it's just the cost-saving measure. You mentioned the artwork. Should we go into that now? Yeah, let's talk artwork. I don't have the artist's name. So I'll let you tackle that one. Oh, you just don't you just don't want to say it. It's uh, Zbigniew Bielak, so another Polish name, mm. is the f- cover artist uh, out of Krakow. And it the last album was a rip-off, my words, of the um, Salem's Lot movie poster. This album cover is also a rip-off. This is a ripoff of the movie poster for a film called Armadeus, which was a, an Oscar-winning big film in the early to mid-'80s, from memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but instead of the face of the masked character in that, we have Papa Emeritus II taking his place, and he's presenting in front of his outstretched arms an infant, an evil-looking infant with kind of, you know, the pupilless eyes, lying a very large infant it must be said because he's this infant and we assume it's a boy is lying in the middle of uh, the piazza san pietro in the vatican and it takes up the entire thing so this is a big baby i i don't know i i think that i'm i'm okay with all of this the and 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 i'll refrain from saying i think that they're they're wearing their influences on their sleeves and i think that no, that's okay. Zeppelin did it. I think that the uh, the inspiration behind you know with Salem's Lot with Amadeus, I like it. It works. Um, I like yeah. I like this here. The, the sort of that that idea the the rising sun. I'm assuming this this large child is this connected to the idea of year zero and the ushering in of the new emeritus. Uh, maybe I'm reading too much into it. Another th- another thing to comment on the physical version of of the album on the on the cd inside in the credits section 
The left-hand side is taken up with a list of all the people who've helped out with the album, so the producer, engineer, etc., artist, photographer. The right-hand side, and I think there's actually even more names on the right-hand side, is everyone involved in their legal, publicity, management, and booking teams. This, this band has become something much bigger than they were on the previous album. Not only is this, is this their major label debut, but now there's a whole team of people behind them. They've got booking agents in North America. They've got marketing teams in uh, the US, in Sweden. There's a merchandise company. And I imagine they move a lot of merchandise. They've got legal representation. Uh, they've got a, a team of accountants, publicists. They've listed their webmaster. So, yeah, this, this is as much a business as a band now, judging just by the credits on, on the CD. Don't, don't they have Papa Emeritus bathrobes? Some, some ad wizard on the back there came up with that. <laughs> One of those guys. Yeah, have you got yours yet? No, I don't, but that's genius. Yeah, with inbuilt mittens, I believe. Now, we must also comment, this is the only album in their catalogue, I believe, where the BC appears in the title of the band. Ghost BC is the official band name on this release. Listener, we, we don't have the full story behind all the how all that works. We tried figuring it out. Uh, again, probably credit one of the guys on the back of that, on the back of the cover there. Yeah, one of the legal team. Who is it? Uh, Sissy Haggold. We'll Maybe. put it on. Put it on Sissy. Yeah. Um, trying to avoid some sort of legal threat, I believe. So preemptively change the name. But th this is the only album where they do that. And the, I mean, but just to sort of and add to the the bigness of it all. I mean, even even the I mean, it started on MySpace, right? I mean, this started him working at a call center, doodling the logo and releasing songs on MySpace. And I think this is one of the last bands to escape MySpace before, before it kind of just went by the wayside. But the producer, uh, Nick Raskulinix, um, I mean, he's worked with Foo Fighters, Mono Generator, Stone Sour, Deftones, um, Alice in Chains, right? Danzig. I mean, he, this guy's got some, some big corn, Death Angel, he's got big names behind him. And so yeah, that, he, that also name. adds to it. So this was my, if I could, my first impression of this album when I was listening to it was that it just, everything felt bigger. And I got this sense that somewhere between the first and the second album, they started playing festivals. And that first album didn't really fill out the festival sound like I feel like this album was created, produced, and written in order for them to sort of fill out these, the, fill out this, this, this sort of that sonic space of these festivals, and yeah. and and that's where we we start off with that choir. But everything just feels bigger. It's more sing alongy. It's more. It's just everything's just bigger. Yeah, I agree. I mean it is a quantum leap, I think, in terms of production values. And you're right, it's, it, it also feeds into the songwriting. Perhaps it's time now to jump into the track-by-track -track breakdown. Mm -hmm. uh, I let us off last time. Would you like to uh, have the honours today? I will start it. So you kind of already 
give us a little bit of headway here, but it starts with this Baroque choir, right? Your 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 evil church choir, and and that immediately sort of establishes kind of the mood and the tone of the album. And the mood and the tone are going to shift. I mean, they're all over the place on this album, but that sort of sets what we're always going to come back to. Um, and then the song, I like the way that the song. I don't know that I have. I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to get the right words for it, but it seems like there's always this underlying sort of minor key kind of level of eeriness, but the the sort of what's on the surface has more of a, a, a poppy, friendlier, major scale sing-songy vibe. And it's almost like these two levels of, of are playing against each other in the song. And so there's always that sub-layer of eeriness while the song itself kind of starts to become not uplifting, but poppier, for lack of a better word. Anthemic. Anthemic. There you go. Yes, mm. this, this song does. And it, it very much feels anthemic. And I, there are s several other songs out here where I'm going to say the same thing. Yeah. I think this is, a, as far as openers go, this, I think, absolutely gives you a sense of what you're in store for. Yeah, I thought this was a great opener. I've already spoken about the, the first impression it created with me just from having this choir, this incredible sounding choir leading us in. This is, as they did a few times on the first album, they've evilized, in inverted commas, a church prayer. The instruments kick in. So the first album we just had a, an organ, sort of minute and a half of straight organ. This time we get the band kick, kicking in with the atmospheric opening. The instruments kick in after about 20 seconds. One of the things that stood out instrument-wise on this was the snare drum. I don't know if that stood out with you, but this this really loud driving snare that I'll come back to again through, throughout the album. But, yeah, there's a really big snare drum, snare drum sound. There's a simple bass line through this, but we get some of the signet, the swirling guitars and the swirling keyboard effects that popped up from time to time on the previous album as well. The lyrics are a bit of a strange mix of Italian and Latin again. We saw that with Conclavi on the first album, so um, a bit of a hybrid there. But all the same, just a really striking opening to an album. One of the best album openers perhaps I can remember, I think. So from this great opening, we get into the second track, which is called Per Aspera ad inferi this one has a big metallic a big metal opening riff so my expectations at this point are still we're going to get something heavy something on the hard rock tending towards the metal end of the spectrum as we got on the first album so my expectations haven't changed much at this point and this song reinforces those expectations i'm thinking oh yeah here we go with a heavy opening riff again we've got that snare drum in this song just dominating the the drum sound and, and sort of driving providing a real drive into the rhythm of the song this is the first time we hear tobias sing unless he's he might be among the choir on the first song but this is the first time we hear him sing by himself i predicted or we predicted improvement in his vocals and you can hear that here he has improved as a singer he's less nasal more confident we get some of those delicate keyboard highlights through the verses some offbeat keyboard use and a, a really sort of marching 
quality. They just the chorus is just repeating per aspera ad inferi, which is a sort of re-engineering of a common Latin phrase, I believe. It's it's usually per aspera ad astra, which is through hardships to the stars. Here they've given it their ghosty twist and changed it to through hardships to hell at inferi. And this is probably the heaviest <clears throat> this is probably the heaviest song on the album, I think. You better take over while my voice recovers. Okay, fair enough. Um there is yeah this song there's a seamless lead in from track one to track two they kind of the way they they even in fact the the anthemic uh it does it starts with this heavier vibe but it does pick up again the chorus is anthemic it's it's very much this is the song i think where it dawned on me it's like oh wait a tick they're they're playing to a a big a much bigger audience now than than they were when when they were the myspace band playing and 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 club basements this is this is now taken on this bigger thing um and this is that song where i really really got i mean got that sense of they're now filling in all the corners of the space that they're trying to play with and they they do exactly as you said it they come in on that on the just giving us that that metal vibe at the very beginning to to remind us what what, what we're there for um but it's going to get a little bit dancey later on as we as we talk about, uh, but but yeah, no, I think that this again, first two tracks of, of this album, I think, are outstanding. Just on the lyrics, uh, there is one tanning in Lucifer's beams, and it's not the only time they mention the sort of rays and beams that emanate from uh, from Lucifer. I didn't realize that Satanists actually utilized those beams in such a way, though, for tanning purposes. <laughs> Which made me think, have you ever seen a Satanist at a tanning salon? <laughs> That's why. Well, have you? Have you ever seen one at a tanning salon? I, I am. I don't know. I'm trying to, in my mind, my vision of a Satanist, they're usually pretty pale. Well, <laughs> it's not from, maybe they just put sunscreen on. I'm not sure. So that's going to take us into Secular Haze, which... Mm starts off kind of giving this sort of twisted carnival vibe right yeah. with kind of that that very beginning opener um again they they do they're playing with those key changes in the song that's sort of dancing between the uh the, the the minor keys and the major keys and sort of that layer of eeriness while well while it does get popular and this this i think is the first song i've heard from ghost that feels like it, it could be a single like this, this could be a radio single, and I feel like this this song it, it kind of has that the vocal melody is 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 almost chant like, but but it there is kind of just this pop feel to it, and it feels like something that could be played on the radio. Uh, yeah, this was the first single I think released off the album, which was a little bit of a surprise to me. But yeah, there is a music video that goes with it. Link to it in the show notes. You'll find it on our website, as always, listeners. I've seen a review or two describe this as sounding like circus music, and it does have a carnival feel, partly because of that organ grinder sound in the keyboards. But I think the biggest thing that stood out for me was this is a waltz, and it's not something you hear much in this at this end of the music spectrum. You don't hear many waltzes in heavier music. The, it's that snare drum that drives 
the waltz here. So it's so the offbeats of the waltz, you hear that just slamming, really dominating sound of the snare drum and some also some snare drum blast beats at the key transitional moments throughout the song. I really like it. My first reaction was this with this song was, I can't like a waltz, I'm sorry. I, the last good waltz was written by Johann Strauss, as far as I'm concerned. I, you don't hear many waltzes for good reason. It's hard to dance, unless you're going to do the Pride of Erin, to a waltz. Having listened to it now a few times, it has grown on me, mainly because of those choruses. There's a, quite a delicate, dreamy nature to the choruses, the Weaver Submist Fog Weaver. I like the lyrics there too, by the way. I think that's the best they've been lyrically so far. And, yeah, the way we get some mood changes throughout the song, some nice bass lines throughout. To me, this was almost something like an indie rock band might release. You know, it's got that experimental nature with the time signature. It's a very bold song, firstly, just of itself, but also a really bold choice, I think, to release as the first single off their, their, new, their new make or break big album. A sign of confidence, I suppose, from the band. So, yeah, I quite like this song. This was a real grower once I got over the, oh, hang on, this is a waltz initial reaction. <laughs> it ended up growing on me. Yeah, I saw it as a sort of bold and, and confident move from the band. So I'm liking this album so far. So the next song is called Gigolo Har Megado. Now, Googling helped me with the title here. Gigolo, well, we know what that means. Most of us do. If you don't, you can Google that. But Har Megido is some Hebrew. Megiddo is the ancient city in Israel, which was the site of the events in Revelations in the Bible. Har Megiddo. I believe, means the Mount of Megiddo, which is the mountain nearby. Ha-Megiddo has been, you know, in English, the word we use for Ha-Megiddo is Armageddon. So this is the sort of ancient form of the word Armageddon. So a bit of a history lesson there for our listeners and for me. I learned something new with that. Again, like with the previous song, this is not metal, far from it. I actually, it's got a real swinging groove. I actually picked up a bit of a Broadway show tune vibe to it here so a real swing you know um through this one there's some of those genesis and i say genesis not the band but the song off the first album those you describe them as computer game keyboards so we hear some of those coming back here in the background on the keyboards i think there's definitely the makings of a good song here and there's an acoustic version of this song that i think is better than this version again a link uh, to that in the show notes, you can see how good this song can be. But, and there is a very big but on this song, and not in the Sir Mix-a-Lot sense of big buts. Here's the big but. The lyrics are awful. This is my first coffee cup moment on the album. This really could have been a good song, but the lyric, it's basically a, what, three or four minute penis brag? This was my first coffee cup moment. This was my first, hang on, I'm not buying into this. This is silly. What a shame because it had the makings of a good song. Your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with you on the lyrics. And, and I also agree, it felt like almost like a, you said swing, but like a swing punk. There's, there is also this sort of punk feel to it. 
um, where I kind of, I, I'm feeling their influences here a little bit. And here's the other thing that really is frustrating me about this song is it reminds me of another song. It reminds me of another song so much that it's distracting. And I can't, I still can't, like I've been, I've spent the last several weeks now trying to figure out what song does this remind me of so that I could, I could say it here now. And I still, it, I still don't know. And every time I'm listening to this song, I get so bogged down in, what the hell does this song remind me of? It reminds me of, I've heard this song before, not the ghost version. I've heard right. there's some there's some aspect of this song that's coming from somewhere else, and I can't pinpoint what it is. Okay. It'll come, the moment you stop trying to think about it, it will it's, come to you. So perhaps right. you can tell us in one of the next uh, podcasts when it does. But yeah, this this song is is one that if 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 I'm going through the album, I I I feel like the song is, I, there's a story here. There's, there's a story going here. And I feel like this song is setting up that story that kind of leads up to year zero, right? I feel like that that year zero is sort of the re, here's now the reestablishment of, of Papa Emeritus the second. And it's, this song is just sort of he, here he comes. It's the feeling I got from it. Who's uh, doing the next one? I think I am. I am. Yep. All right, next one is Goulet, uh Zombie Queen. First time I listened to this song, I, I had my headphones in and I was out. I don't know, I was, we were grilling something, chicken or fish or steak or something. Anyway, I was out there at the grill. I heard this song and I was like, all right, next. And then, and then I went back and listened to it again. I was like, all right. All this is to say, I won't continue to give you the evolution of my listening to this song. I think this might be my favorite song on the album. I really, really, really like this song. I did not like this song at the beginning. I didn't, I just, I didn't have the patience for it. And, and now in retrospect, and now that each time I listen to it, this is the one, if I wake up in the morning and there's something in my head, I'm zombie. Right, I'm waking up with that in my head. I really, really like this song. And I found this quote where Tom Petty in 92 said, there's there's a lot of rock out there, but not much roll. And I feel like this song, that zombie queen part, that brings roll right back into rock and roll. It's just got that sort of that, I don't know, there's a there's a, a dancey beat to it. The, it goes from this sort of kind of morose, again, with the minor key, the, the, the piano haunting and and then it, it's it's the way that it gives way to this big just massive again festival crowd sing-along and and i've heard a live version of this song and it's so good just the way that it's performed and 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 and, and done i i think this is good i think this might be my favorite song on the album yeah this is a great song i love it too um I was a bit quicker to love this song, actually. I think I like this from the first listen. It is a, their longest song so far. It's seven and a half minutes if you combine. It's kind of two songs merged to one. I, I really like the first three minutes or so, the love song part of it, the piano-y 80s guitar piano love song with the, you know, the whispered vocals, the cymbal splashes. I know the lyrics here are about a zombie, but this feels more from the heart than anything 
I've heard so far from the band. It's really quite beautiful. And then we get that dramatic change in the song, as you mentioned, around the three-minute mark. The band that jumped to mind for me was The Cramps through mm. those verses because mm-hmm. it's quite a swampy, a swampy stomp through the verses. You know, that sort of mm-hmm. bass-driven stomp with, you know, I think there's some steel guitar or something in the, in the background as well. Then we get to the chorus. And now here we get the chorus is great. Here we hear the choir again. It sounds like Tobias is being backed by an army of zombies here. We've got one of them doing a really deep zombie. So it's so effective. And the last minute or so, minute, minute and a half of the song, has that choir bringing it all into a brilliant crescendo. There's some... There's, there's also a soprano singer in the choir somewhere that's doing some really beautiful high-register stuff, and we also get a little bit of horns. They're synth horns. I would have loved some real brass there, by the way, but, you know, there is a horn part too. So, so many elements to this song. It does, again, have that theatrical Broadway feel to it, I thought. This is something we saw an Adams Family musical uh, that our high school produced that's- last year, and this kind of... Felt like it could fit into that vibe. Um, but there's such range in this song, so many different elements, and woven together so well that this, I think, is the best ghost song to this point. Until we get to the next song, which is my favourite song on the album. This song's called Year Zero, and it just hits you in the face from the start. Such a dramatic opening. The choir again just repeating different names of Lucifer. And then we get a driving rock beat coming over the top of it, and you can't help but nod your head through the verses here. The verses here, here we get, again, getting way away from hard rock, heavy metal. I got a real 80s electro vibe through the verses of this. It's in the vocal effects, but also in the beat and some touches on the, on the keyboards. The band that came to my mind in the verses was Duran Duran, believe it or not. Now, I never thought I'd be saying Duran Duran when we chose this band. Um, but the highlight of this song to me, again, is the choir. It comes back in those, and we'll use the word again, anthemic, in, you know, the Hail Satan, to the, um, the Hail Satan choruses are huge here. I really quite, again, like the lyrical themes here, this idea that Lucifer has been this force lurking in the background through all of human history, and, and now if he's finally engineered uh, the, com- you know, he, the, the moment where he's going to take over. So some intelligent lyrics, a great song, I thought. Great vocal performance from Tobias, brilliant use of the choir. Yeah, to me, this was the first great ghost song in their catalogue. Best song so, on the album as far as I'm concerned. So I came into this recording with three tracks, and I wasn't sure which one I was going to say is my, my favorite. Um, and I went ahead and did that already. With, with Goulet Zombie Queen, I decided as, as I was leading the way on that one, I'm, I'm doing it right now. I'm calling this one my favorite. Uh, but Year Zero was, was one of those three where I was trying to figure out, is this my favorite song on the album? Because this is another one that I keep coming back to. And it, it absolutely, I, I, I can, I feel pretty confident in saying that this is the first track on side two, right? This is, this is sort of like the beginning of, of, 
of kind of this new thing that's that's happening here you've got that chugging guitar with that chromatic keyboard and the thing is is that i i, I definitely got that 80s vibe i got it more where there's this, just this huge crescendo of like anthemic just bigness and then and then and then it falls away to that to that sort of mono recording outro that very kind of 80s horror movie-esque where, where it goes out on another band though that i picked up on here when it when we go it's in the verses and it, it signifies the end of a line right before he starts the next line and there's that uh nine inch nails there's that sound that trent reznor used on uh on downward spiral and it's kind of like this um I don't even know how to describe it like this chunky keyboard kind of it's more of a percussive feeling than it is any sort of anything else and and there's that sound that sort of signifies the turnaround on each line and so the the Duran Duran that's that's interesting and I, and I can hear that now that you say that but the band I wrote down was Nine Inch Nails kind of downward spiralish and then Forge here the other thing that I made note of is that he's the man has done his homework on the occult. I am, um, because so, apparently Gule is uh, connected to, and it is, it's, it's, a, it's a ghoul from Arabian folklore. Um, but then even this deep dive into his biblical monsters, I, I'm, I'm somewhat, I mean, I feel like, I, look, I'm a high school literature teacher. I've, I've read the Bible, right? I, I just as a sort of a foundational text for so much of what I teach. But the, this, the behemoth, Belial, Asmodis, I, I, all this was, I didn't, I mean, I knew behemoth, but I knew them as a band and I knew it as a monster truck in the eighties and, and sort of Belial and Asmodis. I, I had no idea who hmm. these were. Hmm. Yeah. Really effective. And uh, yeah, I agree. There's some there's some intelligence and some thought in the lyrics too. My only question with the lyrics, my only one little question mark hanging over them was the rhyming of eyes with lice, and also later on flies with lice, because of the way he pronounces eyes as ice, uh, that allows him to make that rhyme. So. Slightly controversial, but I think he's got some past form on that. So I'm willing to forgive him. <laughs> and I think we, he does it again later on with the depths of Satan's eyes in we, we, one of the later tracks. We could chalk it up to slant rhyme. All right. So that was a song that we clearly both enjoyed. What did you think of the next one, Body and Blood? Body and Blood. This is another one that was written by, um, so Year Zero, Martin Persner helped write that one and then this one body and blood as well this one takes an interesting turn from the opening the few seconds of the plucking of the screen the string sorry and then sort of that crushing power chord that comes in and it gets bouncy and it's got splashy hand claps that sort of punctuate the chorus this is another one where i've heard them do it live and uh and and it, it is it's just it's just a a big old happy sing-along as everybody's well, singing along to the lyrics um, and doing the hand claps. And I could see where a, uh, a, a, a religious group at a, at a ghost show would get somewhat nervous when they all these, see all these people gleefully, gleefully yeah. singing along. Yeah, it's definitely catchy, isn't it? 
any bands come to mind uh, on this one for you? Not that I wrote down. Okay, because the one I wrote down was the Dandy Warhols. There is a song of theirs, We Used to Be Friends, that has those hand-clappy things through the chorus, I think, and a really similar vibe between – I saw a lot of similarities between that song, which is everywhere now. You know, they use that on advertisements and computer games, and I mean that, that was a huge song for the Dandy Warhols 20 or so years ago, 20, 25 years ago, whatever it was. I feel like there's a lot of that. That's um, that happy vibe to it comes through in here, and the the hand claps, the lyrics are kind of silly. They're a take on the this pointing out perhaps the cannibalistic nature of the sacrament of communion, which I guess was an interesting thought bubble. I don't think it really worked lyrically. Um, so a little bit coffee cuppy here. It's a short song. Perhaps mercifully, I don't think it's one of their best and a little and a pretty major come down after the song that came before mm. it, Year Zero. Uh, the next one's called Idolatry. Now, this, thanks to one of the, I can't remember which review it was, but thanks to one of the reviews for pointing out that that word is a portmanteau, which are when we sort of jam two words together, like brunch, uh, which is also jamming two meals together. Um, and there's a whole, you know, there's plenty of portmanteau. Podcast is a portmanteau. Uh, so here, yeah, I, idols and latrines. So again, there's that we've got a bit of a toilet humour coming in here in, in the lyrics. Again, I Broadway came to mind with this one. It's a very light and breezy, more of a foot tapper than a headbanger, this song. There's some good stuff in here, some nice keyboard highlights, some melodic vocal harmonies, one of their signature melodic guitar solos, a really breezy feel. I actually don't mind the lyrics once you dive into them, once you get past the um, the title of the song. Um, it's okay. I, I prefer it to the previous song, but again, not a standout track by any means on the album. Your thoughts? Yeah, I have a little toe-tappy. That's what I have that written down. Um, the... The sing-songy suffer little children. That's a bit too much. Uh, we've got bouncy drums. Here comes that snare again, which kind of really just sort of takes over here. The the to the toilet humor, I guess that you had mentioned here. This the 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 portmanteau with latrine, uh, defecate, and the last song. It's seven, eight, and nine, kind of where you had talked about sort of on the last album. It it kind of dove a little bit deeper into the sort of high schoolish sex jokes. This one, I think this is like his trio of poop jokes um, yeah. <laughs> where we've got seven, eight, and it, it kind of comes into play here. But again, the lyrics, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, they're better than 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 what was going on in the last song, um, which leads us into Depth of Satan's Eyes. and Or, or is it Satan's Ice? <laughs> um, I don't think Satan's Ice would be very deep, do you? Yeah. There are not enough songs about farts. <laughs> as, as I'm looking at verse two here, the swamp of feces that is the world flatulates a whirlwind storm in which you swirl. I don't know. Mm. Devil's farts don't come up enough in songs. Um, yeah. Imagine they're the, quite sulfuric. <laughs> the, uh, and you kind of, so I, I think this is that this kind of ends the trio trio of that. And you've got the, um, but again, we've, sort of this 
major scale at the surface, but then there at the, at the, at the, the subsurface, you've got that keyboard kind of just mimicking that tolling bell in the background. And it, it does keep it ominous, right? There's still sort of that, just that, there's always that underlying sense of that eeriness and that ominous. And I think they do a really good job of that, of always kind of keeping that at the, at the sort of the surface, and no matter how much they kind of bring out sort of the sing-songy anthemic uh, at the more higher levels. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this is certainly a heavier song than the last two. I really like the, um, the, the main riff in this song. It's a nice, heavy riff, a bit of swagger to it. Some nice bass work through us throughout this song. Some sort of jaunt, a jaunty bass line underneath it. Satan's rays get a mention here. <laughs> Remind me to buy a good pair of Ray Bans if I ever happen to uh, meet the man. Uh, it's been criticised. This song is a bit repetitive, but I, I didn't find it so much. I don't mind a bit of repetition. If you've got a really good riff, then just you know. That's what riffs are for, right? That's why we say we riff on things. You know, we repeat, we find something good and we and we repeat it. To me, this was the best of this, what I'd call the second tier song. So it's not one of the show-stopping big ones on the album, but as far as the, the next tier of songs go, I think I enjoyed this more than any of the others. But we do come up now to another top tier song to finish the album. So the last song on this is called Monstrance Clock. And, yeah, I love this. This is a great way to finish the album. It's the culmination, if you'll excuse the pun, of the procreation theme that's been underlying this album throughout. It's got a really eerie build-up and a little bit of that swampy feel that we have picked up on. You know, perhaps it's a bit of Nashville seeping into the album here. But really the bass line drives this song. It's a, it's a great combination of elements. We've got that snare again keyboard, 80 synth, harmonies, bass, all of those things that we've now come to associate with the ghost sound uh, appear on this song and are combined really well. The lyrics are about a church ritual with a difference, but, uh, you know, the last minute and a half of this song is just the choir and the organ singing Come Together for Lucifer's Son. It's a hypnotic and beautiful moment and, and a great way to finish the album with that choir and the organ taking us out. At this point, they've won me back. Like, you know, there's a few weak songs on the album I recognise, but the strong songs on this album, and this is one of them, have done enough. Not for me to say this is a great album, but for me to say I can't wait for the next one and I'm, I'm back. I'm back in on this band and well done with, your, with this song and with the other three, two or three great songs on this album. Well done, Ghost. I was, I was getting worried. I wasn't sure if we were going to be able to listen to the third one. It, what the, if the podcast is going to be us different band? Um, I, uh, I, yeah, this, this was the, uh, I told you that there were three songs I was wrestling with as to which one was my favorite. This is the other one. Um, and you had mentioned when you were talking about depth of Satan's eyes that you said, this one's not a showstopper. This one monstrance clock, I think definitely is a showstopper. In fact, it seems to be one that they'll often end their performances with. I've heard this one also live and it's, Again, it's just so good. And and that the chorus was, it had to be written. That Okay, this had to be written for these moments, right? And this is where they just sort of bring everybody together. They end the show. They do the big thing. Um, 
There's the marching, sort of that rhythmic marching drums. The keyboards, I wrote down the band Boston. I don't know why. There was something about the keyboards that reminded me of Boston. Um, I think as a whole, I feel like side B is weak as a whole. Um, but the opening and the closing tracks on side B are, I think, two of the best songs that this band has done in the last two albums. And so yeah. so it's interesting that, you know, the, 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 I feel seven, eight, and nine are, are, are kind of filler. Um, whereas Year Zero and Monstrous Clock are both just so, so good. And both of these, incidentally, were co-written by Martin Persner. Oh, there you go. Well, there we have it. Yeah, we're through the track by track. So we've both mentioned our favorite tracks already. Uh, do you want to give a sort of summary statement about the album? I mean, you kind of capture it there, I think, some weak songs but some standouts. Anything more you want to add? I just, I think it was, I really, really do feel like this album was built to sort of, they, the, the band had taken this next level, and I think Tobias Forge realized we need the songs to match that. I think he... I think he absolutely did whatever he set out to do. I mean, the songs that are, if you go through and you look at the the live set lists of, of what they're still playing, there are several songs on here that still, right? Paraspera ad Inferi is still on the set list. Uh, Secular Haze, uh, Goulet Zombie Queen, Year Zero, Monstrance Clock. I mean, those are all the strong standout tracks. And, and I think that that, they hold up very well for this new era of Ghost, the Papa Emeritus, the second years, if you will. Yeah, I still, a lot of the reservations that I had with the first album have carried through into this. There are some lyrical problems for me, and I did have a few of those moments where I just had to l almost look away in embarrassment for for the band and, or, and, and for what I was hearing. But the strong moments on this are so much stronger, I thought, than the than on the first album. I'm really now looking forward. I, I think hopefully we can eliminate those, the, the real weak spots, especially in the lyrics on the next album. I think we're going to get closer and closer to having second tier songs that at least do justice to the quality of, of the top tier songs. That's my hope for the next album anyway. But I am back in with this band. I am, I'm, now conscious of the fact that, yeah, they can write some great, great music and, and things that stay with you after you've listened to it. You know, I've been humming Monstrance Clock. You know, there's there's a lot here that has just stayed in my mind well after the listening's been done, and I think that's a good sign for a band and an album. We haven't mentioned the production. One of the criticisms of this album is the production. There's talk of clipping. There's talk of, you know, in one of the, there was an interview I saw with a nameless school where they said, yeah, we'd really like to go and remaster that. We don't think it was a great production job. I don't think it's Raskulinex's fault. I think a lot of the production was done before he got his hands on the recordings and he just did his best with what he was presented with. But personally, I've got to say, I didn't find. I don't have the same complaints that some people have with the production of this album. I thought it was a really nice sounding album. I didn't, you know, perhaps I'm just not listening to it on the quality of sound system or something where I can pick up the clipping. Did you pick up any of that sort of stuff? 
I didn't, but it was interesting to me that, I mean, when you look up the studio as to where it was sort of recorded and where all the work was done, it's three different studios. It's from the MySpace days. I wonder if he didn't have sort of these kind of rough tracks that um, sort of all kind of just everything got worked in later. And, and, and I think that all of that will be, I think this next, starting with the third album, my assumption is, is it's going to be a lot, the process will be a lot more smooth and cleaner. Yeah. And I think it's a big thing to ask a, a producer and a mixer to put his stamp on an album, but not to be there for the entire recording process. I think perhaps if there are criticisms of this, I wouldn't pin them so much on Raskulinex, who we know is an excellent producer. I would pin it on that disparate nature of the way the album was recorded and the fact that he was presented with an almost finished product and asked to sort of weave it together um, at the last minute. One thing we've not talked about, and this is just a thought I'm having going into the next album, is that I find the third album of a band is always telling, hmm. right? That's where that first album is kind of, this is the, these are the songs that you've been working on for, you know, forever in theory. Uh, and then that second album is kind of finding your footing. And then that third album is about maintenance. But what do you do? Are you now on that third album? Are you still taking chances? Or are you are you now kind of just resting on your laurels, laurels and saying, well, this got us here, so let's keep going with this. And I find that the third album, if you find the third album of any band's trajectory is always the one, the most interesting one I find. I don't know. That's where they sort of, kind of continue to figure out where they're going with this. Yeah, I think you're right. And they can't draw on that well of, of pre-written songs so much. They have to start sort of go through that process again and see if they've still still got the magic. I, the third album, just reading ahead a little bit, seems to be the one where they, here they took, certainly went to a higher level to perhaps stars, but I think the third one is where they, took another leap and became superstars and where you got, you know, your Metallicas and things jumping on jumping mm -hmm. on board and, and huge um, recognition around the world on the third album. So I'm, I'm hopeful for the third one, really hopeful that we're going to get more of the good and less of the bad. Should we ban Brownlow this? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, so, yeah, we've got a slightly, if you haven't listened to our first podcast, we've got a slightly different method for this where we just nominate instruments rather than, people because most of the band members are anonymous um so yeah we're just going to pick out some instruments so yeah uh you want to take us take us away i'll start this one um so i gave vocals all three this time uh mm -hmm. last time i think i gave it to guitar but i'm giving this you one to vocals. Lead, lead vocals lead vocals uh i feel that um it's definitely improved it's definitely better um and it's, it's definitely sort of now the, the second one I'm torn for the, for the, for the, for the one and the two. And here's what I'm torn with. Uh, the keyboards, cause I think the keyboards are absolutely critical to sort of the sound of, and, and of this, of this album. And I, I need to give uh, the St. Trident tenors of Tinseltown some love here. And so yeah. I'm, I'm not, I don't, I, I've not yet decided who, who, who gets the two points, but I'm going to give it to the choir. I've just decided right now. Choir gets yeah. two, and uh, I'm going to give the keyboards one. Okay. 
All right, I'll go in reverse order. So I'll start with my one vote, my least of the three. Uh, I'm going to give that to the vocals of Tobias. We were hoping for improvement and we got it. I think it's a strong vocal performance and, yeah, he's he's becoming a really strong lead singer. To his credit, you know, um, well done. Uh, I'm going to give two votes to the bass uh, because a lot of the songs I think are driven by the bass. So I, you know, I like the mixing on the bass here, and I just like the fact that that's what drives as a as a good bass should, I suppose. But I find a lot of these songs are bass driven in combination with that snare. But I'm not going to give it to the drums because I, you know, it's just so dominated by that snare. But um, I'll give two to the bass. Three votes I'm giving to the choir because. In five or ten years' time, when I look at this and pick it up and think, I'm going to have a listen to that again, the thing that's going to draw me back to this is just the choir. In a way, it's kind of having the choir has kind of ruined some other albums now that I think back and think, man, that would have been great with a choir. You know, I, I've been listening to metal you know, for 30-plus years years now and, and I just think of some of the great metal albums that could have been even greater if they'd had a choir leading them in or backing them throughout. It really really suits the heavy, it really suits heavy music and, and gives this whole album a much, almost at times, some of those 70s horror films. There's um, the soundtrack to The Omen was huge at the time. Mm. I think it won an Academy Award and that had the choir and, and it's, yeah, it's the choir that, gives this album, or to me, that sets it apart from your average album. It's just so striking, and, and they use it so effectively. I'm kind of surprised. I, I, I thought you were going to give the drums. I thought they were going to get your number two spot. No, yeah. no I mean, it, I like the drums. I love them. The, the, I do like the sort of marching quality that the snare drums give, but, I you know, I need more from a drummer than just a snare for them to get into my brown light boats. All right, so it looks like the choir wins this album. Three well votes. Done. <laughs> well done, Janitor John or whoever, whoever, that, whoever oh, that choir dear. was. Um, yes. All right, so the next album is Meliora. Uh, mm -hmm. Looks like it was released two years after Infestissimum, 2015. And on yep. There's also some EPs that have been released. There was one released not long after this that I believe comes with the deluxe version, which is where the Dave Grohl nexus happens. And they cover band, you know, we spoke about a really diverse mix of styles on this album, and you can hear it coming through in the bands they're covering. So we've got ABBA, Depeche Mode. There's a song called If You Have Ghosts by Rocky Erickson, who was a psychedelic rocker who I... I'd never heard before, but uh, it's a great cover and the original's really good as well. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But yeah, as they're releasing these big albums, they're also putting out little EPs here and there. But if you can pick up if you can pick up the versions of the albums, often you'll find the the corresponding EP around that time in the deluxe edition, which I've got on the next album. Okay, so that brings us to the end of our little show. Thank you, listener, for sticking with us as we've covered this album in depth, one that we've both enjoyed with some reservations here and there, but certainly now has set the scene for the next album, which we're really looking forward to 
and hopefully you are too. So stick with us as we continue this journey with, with our chosen band, Ghost. As always, you can find our show notes on our website, unshuffledpod.com, as well as each episode gets posted there. So this, you know, if you're looking for an easy way to find our past episodes, you'll find them at our website. We're on Twitter also, at unshufflepod. And we have an email account, and we'd love to hear from you through any of our those channels. Our email is unshufflepod at gmail.com. Thank you to the band Seven Planets, the opening and closing of this podcast. You hear their great song Vanguard off the album Explorer. Really well worth checking out. You'll find it at the Small Stone um, webpage on Bandcamp. We'll go to the Small Stone website really great label too with plenty of other bands including seven planets so be sure to check those out been a pleasure as always scott you can go and enjoy your day now thank you cheers matt and uh you you enjoy the day ahead of you and thank you listener and uh let's get going on meliora